2018 season, he really started to ramp things up. And then in 2019, he just took off. And now I think he's ready to bring what he has to offer to the NFL. Will be interesting to see how he can mix those two worlds, the success he had in the slot, but also translating that to his natural position. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I'm your host, Cy Amundsen, joined by Jay Nelson from Vikings.com, helping the show, producing the show, talking on the show. And Jay, uh, the dust has officially cleared. We are now in the post-draft, post-schedule release time of the year. So I want to, in this show, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Vikings' schedule, uh, some some trends, some interesting pieces. Also, KMSP Fox 9's Hobie Arteague, who does a lot of stuff with us here for the Vikings, and he's fantastic at it. He joined our very own Chris Corso for an interview. Uh, if anybody doesn't know it, Hobie is... I think gigantic is an understatement. Yeah. Uh, he is a gigantic LSU fan, and he gives us some advanced scouting on our newest acquisition, Justin Jefferson. And, uh, and then we're going to close the show down with a little tribute to John Tierlink. Uh, let's get into the schedule right away, though, here, Jay. I was lucky enough to be part of the happy hour for the Vikings schedule release uh, you know, Paul Allen was on it, Ben Lieber. We had a ton of great former and, and current players. And then Michelle Tafoya. It was a ton of fun. But it was also interesting to, like, be able to announce the games and be a part. Like, I, I got to see them and say them. But then I, I kind of had to let everybody else react. But it, it, like, hit me at the exact same time. Uh-huh. But I just want to start off with the thing that I think, other than the Bucks, had to have caught everybody's. Week one. Week one, Green yeah. Bay absolutely. Week one, and I, and I, I remember, and I'm not going to be able to tell you the year. You're the stat guy, Jay. You might be able to do this, but I remember, God, 15 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, the Vikings opened in Green Bay uh, and just sloshed them, and it just set up a really fun start to the season. It's, it's one of those high-risk, high-reward games. If Green Bay walks into U.S. Bank week one and we put it on them, that is a that is a mental hurdle for that team and a mental advantage for this team walking forward. Yeah, and the thing is, if you think about, you know, even the opening season when we had Green Bay at home, the building was electric, and, and the feeling at that time was, if we can start this off on the right foot and get after Aaron Rodgers and get the offense humming and give the fans something to really grab onto and if you can take a week one game versus the Packers like you said and really put one on them as a fan sky is the limit at that point because you've already hit a giant check mark for the entire season which is beat the Green Bay Packers at home you'll have a little bit of a tiny extra advantage to get ready because of the week four preseason game something like that any extra advantage, any extra time you can get to get ready for the Packers, I think this would be a gigantic game to start the season off with. Well, and let's speaking of extra advantage, the other time you play the Packers, we play the Packers, is week eight uh, in Lambeau. And a, a couple important things here. One, it's after our bye. Yep. So you get, you get your chief rival, possibly uh, the toughest team in your division and one of the toughest in the conference, coming off a bye. It's a defining moment. And additionally, it's week eight. Yeah. So you're talking early November, late October, early November. There's not probably going to be snow on the ground. You're not dealing 
with the horrible conditions. This could be a specifically Packer-related schedule that could be really good for the Vikes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things I was thinking about, too, was even last season, I went back and looked. We'll talk some more about the way this whole thing finishes for the season. But I went back and looked at the Packers' schedule last year because there were some similar trends that I saw in how the Vikings' schedule shook out this year. We all know what they did last year with, with the 13-3 and regular season. They went to the NFC Championship game. If we can have even just a, a smidge of that by hitting a week one and a week eight game against the Packers and have the kind of run that they did last year, it, it'll set us up beautifully for the rest of the year. When I don't want to get out of the NFC North and into everything else right away, but I want to continue down the trend of that weather stuff. I mean, the Chicago Bears, we play the Chicago Bears week 10 at Soldier Field. That's a Monday night game, but that's also, you're still talking early November. You're not talking mid-December. You're not talking freezing cold. Your hands are about to fall off your body. This is a really, really, really difficult schedule. I don't know exactly, you would know more than me, where it ranks. Uh, I know I think we have maybe the second or third toughest road schedule in the entire NFL per last year's statistics. But just in terms of a weather schedule, that was one of the things that bounced off to me. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you look at that Monday night game in Chicago week 10, that is our last, in my opinion, potential cold weather game for the entire season because the way it shakes out is week that that game is November 16th in Chicago on Monday night football. After that, all of your games are either indoors or at Tampa week 14. So unless there's some sort of a freak snowstorm happening in Tampa week 14, the rest of our games are either at us bank stadium at the saints week 16 or at Detroit week 17. I, I don't think that the whole idea of, cold weather becoming a factor in these Vikings games is going to be anywhere close to anything we've had in the past because it's just not going to be a factor after November 16th. Uh, You know, as as you go further through the division, uh, the Detroit Lions, we get them week 19 and week 17. And if if they remain the Lions they've been in the past, that feels like a good, you never know, but that feels like a good team to end the season with. But uh, I want to talk about the Bears. You get them 10 and 15. And, and, you know, everybody last year was really high on the Bears, and I was really low on them. I, I am not a believer in Mitch Trubisky. I'm sure I, am, I maybe I'll be proven wrong at some point. But I, I thought, you know, they were going to regress to the mean last year with their turnover differential, the interesting way they were winning games, their quarterback play, and we saw all of that happen. And now the opposite thing is happening. I think people are underselling the Bears. Sure. Because my belief with Mitch Trubisky is if the Bears are, let's say, just in theory, they're an 8-8 eight and eight team. I think a lot of people look at Mitch Trubisky and they go, well, that's an 8-8 eight and eight quarterback, right? That's what he brings to the table. That's why you weren't good enough. And then we brought in Nick Foles, and he's like an 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. Now he's had some special runs. But, you know, I think a lot of people look at him as a, an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven quarterback. You know, I have such a small amount of belief in Mitch Trubisky that I think Nick Foles is a monumental upgrade. And, and we don't even know that Nick Foles is going to be the day one starter. You know, they're not ready to admit anything yet, which I I just believe he will be based on the past. I think this Bears team is going to be really freaking good. Robert Quinn is an absolute beast to add to that already. Like, and and now they're going to probably land somewhere in the middle with turnovers and defense. They'll be a little better than they were last year. They won't be as good as they were two years ago. And I I just think Nick Foles is going to be a pickup. That Chicago Bears team to me could easily win 10 games. And if stuff, and by the way, now they're facing a third-place schedule. 
that's the thing for me with this team, you know, the, the, the piece of adding Robert Quinn to that defense, that was the thing that gave us fits for the last two, at least two seasons where the bears have, have, whether we were at home or on the road, that defense has given our offense fits just because they've manhandled us at times. And, and but one of the things that Bursich has been saying from the beginning was, yeah, great. The bears are stacking up on defense again. Their offensive line is the thing that is not helping guys like Mitch Trubisky in that offense, be able to move the ball and score some points. So they didn't really address that in the off season. They drafted uh, Cole Komet as their, their top pick for the year at who's a tight end on a Notre Dame. Great. They currently have nine tight ends on their roster. So like they're still trying to find weapons and they're still trying to find playmakers that can help their quarterbacks in this situation. And I think until they can get their offensive line squared away and, and their quarterback situation squared away, they're still going to struggle to, to reach kind of the upper echelon in the playoff run that they are looking for at this point. The guys around him can make him look great or he can make the guys around him look great. It can be some mixture of the two. I- I'm, I'm curious, j- just pure curiosity's sake, I'm curious to see what Foles does in fr- uh, with a lot of that same talent. I, yep. And I, again, I might be very wrong. I'm just very down on Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky, to me, plays like a third-string quarterback. And I don't even know if I can say that on this podcast without somebody tweeting us and getting really angry with me. And and, and who knows? I've, I've predicted things in the past, and then, like, you might as well give Mitch Trubisky a gold jacket right now. Who You know, I, I've been very wrong about stuff, but that, that's just my vibe there. When you leave the NFC North, uh, Jay, speaking of improvements, you head over to the AFC South, which is one of the two divisions we play. You know, they, they produced two playoff teams in 2019 in Houston and Tennessee, and, and Houston, we don't need to spend a half a year on the weird offseason that they have had. Uh, who knows? I think we all have a feeling about how this DeAndre Hopkins thing is going to play out. Let's wait and see. Uh, they resigned Laramie Tunsil. Uh, you know, with Deshaun Watson, you're always going to be a threat. Exactly. Uh, the Titans. The Titans are going to do. In in my opinion, they surged in the second half of the season, and they've done nothing but add. So worst case scenario, I think you're. I mean, Derrick Henry isn't going to do what he did all year next year, like he did towards. I mean, if he does you might as well start carving his statue right now. To me, it's one of those situations with him. It, it, people said that probably for a decade with Adrian Peterson. Well, he's not going to do it again next year. And then he would do it year after year after year. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at Derrick Henry saying if he can start off the way he finished, yeah, he's he's definitely etching himself as one of the elite backs in the NFL. The Jaguars, who we get in Week 13, are rebuilding. I love Gardner Minshew. Uh, and they added a LaVishka Chenault, which is a guy we talked about in draft previews a lot, a talented wide receiver. But they're they're likely in you know rebuild mode the team that i'm worried about and honestly i shouldn't say i'm worried about in terms of a tough matchup but they're a team that i am very much rooting for outside the vikings is the indianapolis colts we get them week two early in the season which might be nice because philip rivers new quarterback few new offensive pieces it might take them a while to gel Uh, jay around the ven offices i think i've gotten in 100 arguments about the fact that I think Philip Rivers and and by the way he might not be anymore he, he he might walk he was not in a great situation last year he didn't play well but he was not in a great situation but he might walk on the field this year and everybody goes he's done but I, I think he and I, I Lieber and I talk about this a lot I think he's fantastic I think he's a hall of famer no doubt I'm really curious to see what he'll do around this good team I think the Colts 
are going to be i mean they added deforest buckner uh, they they are a team that was on the rise pre like everybody's like maybe this is a super bowl team before andrew luck's retirement and if philip rivers is 80 percent 85% of what he was two years ago, this is a, a team that'll compete for a for a playoff spot and maybe more. I cannot stress how difficult it had to be to lose an Andrew Luck right before the season started. Like as a team and as a franchise and just in the locker room, they had to be looking at that situation saying, Superman has left the building. You know, he was the guy that they were trying to lean on. They've built an awesome offensive line. They've now added Buckner to that defense. You had Marlon Mack, who was trying to run all over, and now you've added a, a Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, let alone a guy like Michael Pittman at wide receiver in the draft as well. So, like, I think they are definitely loading up. They still have your T.Y. Hiltons and and those types of players. I think that the Colts are are a sneaky team to to make a jump because if a veteran quarterback walking in the door with a ton of weapons can actually get everybody to gel, they could definitely, definitely be a dangerous team in the AFC South. The other division we have is the NFC South, deep breath, worrisome exhale. The conference produced the 13-3 and Saints last season and then, you know, added some guy who's pretty good uh, to the Buccaneers. Dude, this, this division, like, I mean, obviously the Saints are going to be awesome. Uh, they added Emmanuel Sanders and Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, the Bucks. We get Week 14. I think that's we did a we did a poll on the Vikings Twitter about which game you're looking most forward to. That's that's what everybody seems to be looking forward to. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski in Tampa Bay. But dude, even beyond that, Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to bring some real stability to that Panthers team. You know, McCaffrey is is such a beast. You know, if that team gels, they're going to be very tough and we, we don't get them till like you don't it, it would be nice to get a Panthers team early in the season when they're trying to figure everything out we get them week 12 yep when when they've got stuff probably figured out and and I'm gonna tell you we're not gonna get the same Falcons team we got last year no that, that ain't gonna happen one of these years one of these years they're gonna put it back together ever since that Super Bowl they've been floating around one of these years they're gonna put it back together so every single one of these games to me in the NFC in, in the NFC South looks like an absolute battle this the Saints obviously it's a Christmas game it's a it's a Friday Christmas game but all, all of these look very difficult to me yeah I think that the NFC South you you're proven over and over and over again that the Saints are this team that are, are kind of a foil for us at this point where both sides anytime you play both teams desperately want to win that game I think the Buccaneers game being against Brady Brady's tended to put one on us for the last how many times we've played him um, and it's going to be even though it's not it's still a noon game at this point I think that's going to be a very high profile game if, if the Vikings are on the positive side and making a playoff push the Panthers with Teddy Bridgewater it's just a gigantic juicy juicy storyline to me if if one of his outlet dump pass type guys is a McCaffrey I mean those guys on turf are going to be super super quick and like you said the Falcons I mean eventually they're going to put this together they're talented like crazy in offense and if the defense can give them anything they could they can definitely definitely be a dangerous team in the NFC South. And then you, you close the schedule out with your two non-common uh, opponents. The Seattle Seahawks, Week 5, Sunday Night Football. It feels like we play them every freaking year. 
And then the Dallas, how about them Cowboys? Week 11, they're coming to U.S. Bank Stadium this year. I I mean, the C.D. Lamb thing, adding C.D. Lamb to that team is yeah. going to be crazy. But, but here, let me let me just give you my final impressions, and then and then let's get the let's let's get the Hobie Artigue show on the road here, Jay. I, I believe we are tied for tenth with strength of schedule, given the 2019 finishes. Yep. But like I pointed out in that entire thing. I don't look through the schedule and see many teams that you're like, well, they tore it down. I see the Jacksonville Jaguars. Everyone, every single other team to me looks like it made a step up from last year. And I say that, and I'm not trying to be nervous or be a, you know, be a wuss about the Vikings chances or be negative or any of that stuff. What I'm saying is like, if, if you believe in this team, which I do, it's a hell of a schedule. Absolutely. And and if you can put it together and play well and put yourself in a position to compete for a playoff spot, this is going to be a tested team. Like if if you can walk into the division, you know, if you can, you got six division games. If you can get four of those division games, you you get the AFC South early. If you can get, let's say, three of those AFC South games, right, puts you at seven. You split the NFC South. You know, and, and by the way, these are my baselines. I would love them to win every game, but this just this just this is just my low baseline. If if you can if you can split the NFC South, that puts you at nine, which then means you have two big time football games in theory: the Seattle Seahawks and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, one of them a Sunday night game to decide whether or not you're a, a, a nine win team or an eleven win team. And that's what you have to want if you're the Vikings. Any anybody who's been a Viking fan for the last couple of years, you know, it was great to get. My my hope is getting that big win against the Saints in the playoffs is a big chip off this team's shoulder. A little bit of that noise goes away about important moments and important games, which I think is all overblown to a certain degree anyway. But it, it's such an opportunity if you can grab nine games. Nine of those first 14 games, you basically have two big time football games to decide what sort of team you are. Now, here's the truth. I'm not saying this is how it has to go, but I can make a reasonable argument that the Vikings could play that well through those games. And uh, and now you've got these two opportunities right here. So I'm I'm a little it's a harder schedule than I think any Viking fan would have liked, you know. But I think the other side of that is it really is an opportunity to play a strong schedule, play well, and then get into the playoffs and be used to everything. If you can play this schedule and play well, I mean, you're seeing everything. Bucks, Saints, Packers, Seahawks, Cowboys. What the hell is going to happen in the playoffs that you won't be ready for? That's the thing. And I think on top of those teams, if you look at this schedule and you think about the NFC North in general and the schedule that they have to play, with the exception of Seattle and Dallas, all of the teams in the NFC North have to play this uh, same schedule. So so the thing is, if you can handle your business against these top-tier teams, especially in divisions like the AFC South or the NFC South, then you know that you will potentially be playing those teams in the postseason, kind of like the Packers did last year. If you can take care of those block of home games and set yourself up for the end, then those road games are the ones that you just kind of go, we've already got a lot of our our schedule solidified and a lot of our wins solidified. Get to those last games at the end, and then you're just ripping off, hopefully, the the buffer for your playoff seedings that are happening at the back end of the season. So it is a difficult schedule, and it it is something that the rest of the NFC North is going to have to go for. But if this team thinks they are who they are, and we think they are who they are, 
then these are the kind of games they're going to have to win in order to make a serious push and, and make a serious run in the playoffs. And like you said, you can start that all out with a statement in the first game of the season against the Green Bay Packers. Well, Jay, as you know, our good friend Chris Corso has been snagging some pretty great guests lately this week. No exception. He got Louisiana native LSU diehard Fox 9 sports anchor. And uh, he happens to also be the host of both Vikings Game Day Live and Vikings Live during the season. Mr. Hobie Arteague is on this week's show. Uh, they talked Justin Jefferson, and he was down at the national championship this past season. So they go into all that. And without further ado, uh, let's let Chris and Hobie take it away. What's up, Vikings fans? This is Chris Corso here with the Minnesota Vikings podcast. We are bringing in some quality guests, I have to say. Gary Kubiak joined us to talk Vikings offense. Kyle Brandt talks about his best friend, Kirk Cousins, uh, last week. Now we were thinking, who's an LSU guy to talk Justin Jefferson? And, and we looked no further than Hobie Arteague from Fox 9, who is a Louisiana native and pretty much followed the LSU Tigers throughout their national championship run. <laughs> so uh, we knew that you were the perfect person, and I see that LSU helmet in, in your uh, background there. So it's back there. You're ready to go. <laughs> kind of guess so, but you know what? You, you set the stage. I mean, Kubiak, Brant, Arteague, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm, I, I put you right in that category. I mean – Vikings fans are obviously familiar with your work. You work for Fox 9, the partner of the Minnesota Vikings, um, host of Vikings Game Day Live, host of Vikings Live on Thursday nights throughout the season. And obviously you do a lot of uh, covering of the Minnesota Gophers with the P.J. Flex show. So yep. when the Vikings drafted an LSU player in the first round with the number 22 overall pick, did you just say these are my two worlds coming together? It, it was kind of like the two worlds colliding, Chris. You, you look at it, and also I, I didn't think that Justin Jefferson was actually going to be there for the Vikings to take because you see some of the names starting to fall off the board. And like a lot of people, the Eagles are sitting right there, and I was like, okay, that's where he's going to go. Yet, lo and behold, he falls to the Vikings. And I think that he's a great fit from what he was able to do at LSU. You look back at the 2018 season, he really started to ramp things up. And then in 2019, he just took off. And now I think he's ready to bring what he has to offer to the NFL. So I want to touch on that because I'm, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. His first season with the team, he had zero catches. Um, and he really built it up in 2018, had a monster season. Uh, really being trusted with the offense by Coach O over there. And then last year, we all know he led the nation in like multiple categories, um, also had those, I mean, 18 touchdowns and mm -hmm. led, led the team to a national championship. So what was it that really stuck out um, from 2018 to 2019, the growth that he had Stats-wise, it's, it's incredible. I think also, Chris, you look at what he was able to do in LSU's bowl game from the 2018 season. That was the Fiesta Bowl that LSU played against UCF. And that was kind of the game where Joe Burrow started to become Joe Burrow. But also, you saw Jefferson take a leap as well. He had three touchdowns in that game. And I think that that really set the stage for what he was able to do in 2019. Of course, he has a Heisman-winning quarterback. He has a Belitnikoff winner on the other side of him in Jamar Chase. But Jefferson was really able to emerge as his own player. Plus, he was kind of in the shadows of his brother in his times at LSU. Whenever you look at his first two seasons, his brother Jordan was a quarterback for LSU. He brought them to the national championship game against Alabama back in 2012. And his other brother, Ricky, he was a safety 
uh, for the LSU Tigers. So he he was always just waiting to emerge. But I think at the end of the 2018 season, also that game against Texas in 2019 that LSU played in Austin, I think that's really where you saw him start to emerge. And that just really was the launch pad, if you will, for what was an incredible 2019 season. That's brought it to the NFL. Yeah, I see that that Jefferson name. You see it like everywhere at LSU. It was on jerseys for so long because a lot of people don't know that his two older brothers were there. Um, he credits a lot of his success to, to being able to, to learn from his two brothers. Yeah, I actually talked to him in a one-on-one just a couple of weeks ago. And I asked him, I said, he, people described him as a tough player because you watch the way he plays. He goes across the middle. He's not as scared to get hit. But you look at the way he plays. And I asked him, I said, where did that toughness come from? And he said, well, that's something that was instilled in me by my older brothers. I was always the youngest one. I was always the one getting picked on. So whenever we play football and I start crying a little bit, they were the ones who really got on me and helped me propel my game to that level. Of course, being with great college coaches does that, but I think that his two brothers really helped him excel from day one whenever he got on board at LSU. So I watched that interview that you did with him, and the thing that stuck out to me most was when he said, yeah, well, when I get back at practice, you asked him about going against Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, <laughs> and he said, I'm going to go right at them. I'm not afraid. I was surprised he said that. I, I mean, no, what, was your, say that? what was your takeaway when you heard that? Uh, my jaw literally dropped because I'm like, he is really trash talking to Pro Bowl caliber linebackers who have been Pro Bowl level players year in and year out. We'll see if that tune changes whenever he gets on the field, though, whatever that does happen. But I, I think you have to like that type of confidence whenever you're talking about a rookie coming into a situation where he's really going to have to be a huge part to this offense with Stephon Diggs' departure. You look at that, and, and yeah, it, it comes across as really confident, but also that can be a good thing, too, whenever you see a guy who hasn't even played a down yet in the NFL come in with that level of boxing. That, that's something, if I'm a coach, I like to hear that type of stuff. Yeah, and we know Gary Kubiak's excited, as we mentioned earlier. I mean, he was the guy who put his foot out and said, let's, let's pick this guy, Coach Sam. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that stood out to me was, I think it was like all but three of his catches came out of the slot last year mm -hmm. for LSU. Um, do you think he'll be able to take that talent in the slot and do it on the outside as well? Because a lot of the Vikings coaches believe he can he can do both. Well, he we kind of touched on that in the interview that he and I did. And, and I asked him that question. I said, so many people want to just say you're a slot receiver. That's where you are. That's where you did your best work in college. And he said, well, I actually was an outside receiver before I got to LSU. And I just kind of found a role in that. So I think if he can – translate what he knows and the success that he had in the slot and bring it to a place where it, it really was his natural position outside to start off his football career. I think if he can marry the two together, I think he'll definitely be in good hands with the coaching staff with the Vikings, but it will be interesting to see how he can mix those two worlds, the success he had in the slot, but also translating that to his natural position outside. So since you spent so much time watching these games in college, I'm going to say my favorite Justin Jefferson game was the game before the national championship <laughs> when he had four touchdowns in the first half against the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, what is your favorite moment watching Justin Jefferson as a diehard LSU fan? I think that game is number one on the list of any LSU fan because what he did in that game was just incredible. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care which college team you're playing. I actually looked it up. Oklahoma, I believe, gave up around two passing touchdowns a game last season. A game. He had four in the first half. 
in the first half. It was just it was just incredible to see the way he was able to play and really fuel LSU's offense from the get-go in the biggest game of the season up to that point, arguably the biggest game the team had in almost a decade to that point. But also, you mentioned the Oklahoma game, and I'll go back a little bit further to the beginning of the season. The moment I knew that Justin Jefferson could be a star for LSU and potentially a star in the NFL was the game that LSU played against Texas. That was a game where it was just really back and forth the entire time. The way he was able to just find space or create space given a small window, that's where I really started to notice, okay, the kid wearing number two is going to be someone to watch. He had three touchdowns in that game, including one to seal it toward the end. And that was a play. The, the, if you could watch his third touchdown that he scored in that game against Texas, he catches it in a very, very tight window, but then turns it upfield, and you can really see his speed at work. And I think that that play right there was just an all-encompassing play of what Justin Jefferson is going to be bringing to this Vikings team. Not to mention, he had some very tough catches in that game. He grabbed it, and they get popped right away. Yet he still was able to hang on to the ball, fight for extra yardage, and get as much as he could. I think that that was potentially, aside from that Oklahoma game, his best game as an LSU Tiger. I love that you brought one up like before the end of the season so you can kind of get see the yeah. evolve the, the evolving uh superstar that he became mm-hmm. um in his college career but the last question on Jefferson I'm going to put you on the spot here give us his stats for the upcoming season oh. I want I want a projection for you you're uh, you're a little biased which I love but I'm going to I'm going to um. ask you what what what's your projection for for 2020 a lot's going to be expected of him. And and I kind of touched on that with him. I said, you know what? People are going to be expecting a lot of you. And you really haven't had expectations of this magnitude before because you kind of flew under the radar in high school. You flew under the radar in college. Now you're getting to a place where all eyes are on you. But the way he's approaching this, I think he's going to approach it as a pro because he knows the work that he's had to put in to get to this point. But if we're talking a statistical analysis, 700-yard season? Respectable. I like that. That's Six touchdowns because because it, it might also be an offense. I mean, Irv Smith Jr., you can expect him to put in, potentially have a bigger role. Kyle Rudolph, Adam Thielen. There are options of where Kirk Cousins can go with the football, not to mention Dalvin Cook coming out of the backfield. Um, but I think a respectable number is, is somewhere in that area. So looking at the Vikings offseason as a whole, I think it's highlighted not by free agency, but more by uh, the draft. And I think Rick yeah. Spielman's really what he's tried to do over the years is build the team through the draft and supplement through free agency. How would you overall grade um, the Vikings offseason 15 draft picks is obviously a very unique situation. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like he says, the more chances you have in the draft, the more likely you are to hit on some of those players. And I think whenever you have that many picks and you look at the quality of picks that the Vikings were able to get, you have to put them in maybe top five, top three draft classes from this offseason so far, whenever you look at not only the number that they got, because, yeah, it's, it's, it's great players, but also you look at the quality of talent that they also got, too. I mean, addressing wide receiver and quarterback, I think we can all agree that those were 1A and 1B of needing to address in the offseason. And they addressed both of those positions in the draft, but then you look at defensive line, what they were able to do with getting some guys like Lynch, like a Wonham, two types of guys who can really contribute in the right way, especially in the hands of Andre Patterson, I think that those two guys are really going to be ones to watch. And then you look across the board, 
they, they were able to address tackle situation with Ezra Cleveland, a guy who really, really has fast feet, which I think could really mesh well with the zone blocking scheme. I, I think that they pretty much hit a home run in the offseason, especially with the draft. Who's a draft pick that not not the first uh, first pick that we just talked about, but maybe a, an under the radar draft pick that you think could have a huge impact on the Vikings team in the upcoming season? The two cornerbacks, I think, are going to be very interesting to watch. Um, especially because those are two guys who really had a lot of success in college. We can see if they can translate that to the next level, especially whenever you have a, an entire group of young guys at that position who are just very, very hungry to get on the field. But I think uh, Kenny Willekes, uh, I like him. I like him a lot, the kid out of Michigan State. I think that we talk about under-the-radar players like Jefferson. Well, he was a guy at Michigan State who was Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year yet still fell all the way in the draft and now gets a chance. And I was doing a little bit of reading on him. I believe he played rugby in high school, which yeah, uh, we, we saw him after the draft. <laughs> I mean, there's these workout videos that he has that I yes. think he recreated on the Vikings account. He's doing some crazy stuff. He's, he's like jumping, flipping off the walls and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely, I think, I've heard, I've heard Brian Robinson comparisons already. I have, I've heard those too, but you, you look at just his athleticism and the way he bends his body and I think that the Vikings defensive line has kind of prided itself on having guys who can really turn around tackles to get to the quarterback. And if he can be put in the right situation, which with Andre Patterson, we know what he's done with so many defensive linemen over his career. If he can be put in the right situation, he might be able to, to really make some noise with the Vikings. So you were one of the first people to get to speak to the Vikings free agent acquisition and Michael Pierce. The more I learn about this guy, the more excited I am um, for, for his role in the Vikings defense. So tell us a little bit about what you learned from your conversation with Michael Pierce. I learned that he's a very fun guy. I mean, just, just, just having a conversation with him, he was very excited to get to this level of his career. I mean, he's going from Ravens purple now to Vikings purple. But one thing that really stood out in the conversation that I had with him is he's a very unselfish player. He said, you know what? I've got guys around me. I've got guys like Daniel Hunter. I've got guys like Anthony Barr who can go and attack the quarterback. Me, I'm just there to do the dirty work, and that's what I really relish in. And I think that whenever you hear that from a defensive tackle, I mean, that's that kind of is the territory of that position. But when you hear a guy say that and, and say that just after signing with a team, I think that just goes to show you what a quality addition that is, not only just on the field, but personality-wise. Whenever you have a guy saying, you know what, I'll go and do my job so everybody else can do theirs. I think that that's kind of the – the epitome of a team player that the Vikings are going to be getting on a defensive line. Yeah, one of the things that's, that really stood out to me was his personality. It seems like he's got uh, a lot to offer to the Vikings locker room. The, the last question I have for you, uh, Vikings-wise, is that obviously the schedule was released last week, and there's a lot of highlights on the schedule from opening up with the Packers to playing on Christmas Day in New Orleans. Um, what is the game that you're looking forward to most on the Vikings schedule. I mean, I think you hit the top two right there. Whatever that, those are the two that just popped out right away. Whenever you have one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL with the Vikings and the Packers, then of course that Saints game, because we know that those two have gone shot for shot over the last couple of seasons, especially in the playoffs. But the other one, if I could pick a third one, I would say that Seattle game. The big change this year is it's not in December. Will that kind of change the fortunes of 
of the team's woes in Seattle, if you will. Uh, I, I think whatever the schedule came out, that's that's where my eyes went immediately. I was like, okay, where's Seattle? Is it back in December? No, it was not. Earlier in the year. It's a little bit earlier, and hopefully that that long flight home will be a different <laughs> one <laughs> than the past few. Uh, wrapping up, I just want to ask you about a lot of our Vikings fans on this podcast are very interested in the Minnesota Gophers and what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw that you had a chance to really uh, break down some of the uh, recruiting class that's coming in. And it seems like PJ Fleck is doing a great job recruiting a, I mean, these guys are picking Minnesota over Michigan and, and Penn state and, and these other mm-hmm. big 10 schools. I mean, you look at the Vikings draft class hitting a home run. We'll look at the recruiting class for the Gophers going into the 2021 season. I believe now they're at five four-star recruits. P.J. Fleck is just really, really hitting the recruiting trail, the virtual recruiting trail, very, very hard. I mean, some of these guys haven't even seen campus. They've only done virtual visits, but he's able to sell some of those guys on what the Gophers are doing moving ahead into the future. And, of course, a big win in the Outback Bowl over Auburn, that in itself does wonders for a program, especially whenever you look back at what they were able to do over the course of the season, doing something that hadn't been done in 100 years. But you look at the, the upcoming season. I'm very excited to watch this Gophers team the, with Rashad Bateman and Tanner Morgan, that duo right there. That's going to be a very, very fun tandem to watch, not only in the Big Ten, but across college football. I can't wait to see. The interesting thing, what they're going to do on defense, because they had a lot of guys drafted on that side of the ball. I'm going to be very curious to see what they're able to do there. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize you lose Tyler Johnson, but Bateman and the starting quarterback, yeah. Tyler Morgan, are still there. So it's... And, and, and the name to watch this year for the Gophers, Chris Altman-Bell, mark my words on that. He had some huge catches over the course of last season, but was really kind of the third guy in the mix behind Tyler Johnson, behind Rashad Bateman. Watch for him to really, really make some noise in the 2026. Last question, who's the recruit for Gophers fans to keep an eye on? Because we know they got a running back there. I don't know if uh-huh. he's the guy, but... Steven Ortiz. That's going to be the one to watch. He's the guy who's from the Arizona area, and he, just from reading about him, he, he prides himself on being a really, really shut-down type of cornerback. We'll see how that translates from the high school to the college level. But I know that he's a guy that a lot of people are very, very high on, and He's got he's got a lot of character to him, and I think that that that's going to be the interesting thing to see what translates to the collegiate level. Awesome. Well, we thank you, Hobie Ortiz. I mean, you are our local uh, LSU resident that we that we're <laughs> going to turn to for all things Justin Jefferson going forward. I'll try to be, man. I'll try to be anytime, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much to Chris and Hobie for joining the show. As always, really great stuff from Chris. Uh, thank you all you guys for, uh, for being a part and listening during the shutdown. We appreciate you. You're ho- we hope you're being safe. We hope you're taking care of yourself and your family. Uh, before we end the show today, we wanted to take a little time to, to pay a little tribute to former Vikings defensive line coach John Tierlink. Uh, John was an NFL coach for six different teams over 22 seasons. He was he was with the Vikings from 92 to 94. And uh, although that may have only been three seasons, any lifelong Viking fan understands the type of guys that were around 92 to 94. Henry Thomas, John Randall, Chris Dolman, Al Noga. He was a very important part of this franchise and this franchise's defensive success in the early 90s. He also won three Super Bowls uh, during his stints with the Denver Broncos and the Colts. 
and uh, he was. We already mentioned John Randall and Chris Dolman, but he played an integral part in developing twenty-three Pro Bowlers and three Hall of Famers. Jay. Yeah, I mean, John is one of those guys that that John Randall basically points to and says. This is the guy that helped me become who I am as a player. Um, John had a quote and he said, John Tierlink is kind of like Mr. Miyagi. He's very unorthodox. He's a different breed, rougher on the edges. And he tells you things that are funny, but they register if you just listen. And that's why he's the guru. John was this six foot five, 240 pound guy who played for four seasons and, and got injured and could no longer play in the NFL. And, and from that point forward, he, he, switched to coaching he was able just to take guys and help mold them and john randall is is a prime example of a undrafted free agent that that tier link got a hold of him and helped him become a a pro football hall of fame player and and john was so enamored with with tier link coach tier link that he made him one of only 10 coaches who had ever been asked to be a presenter for a player's pro football hall of fame induction speech so he was he was very much somebody that the Vikings early 90s success that they had that they were able to point at a guy like John Tierlink that helped develop that. So he, his namesake is the John Tierlink Award, which is the best defensive line coach in the NFL. That should tell you something about how much the rest yeah. of the league really loved and respected a guy like this. Absolutely. And uh, from from us here on the show and from everyone associated with the Minnesota Vikings, our condolences go out to John's family uh, and, and friends and, and everyone that was lucky enough uh, to be around and coached by John. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. As always, you're a king of kings. And you did a fantastic job. Uh, For all your Viking needs fans, keep your eyes peeled on Vikings.com. We're doing Vikings at home shows, Viking happy hour shows, interviews, videos, everything we can possibly do to keep you guys kicking along while you you take care of your family and yourself. Uh, We're enjoying doing it. We're hoping you're enjoying the content. Please stay safe. And we will see you guys next time on the Minnesota Vikings podcast.